Welcome to Israel. It's midnight from Jerusalem. Our weekly virtual worship service and a collaboration between the Congregation of the Word and loveisrael.org. As always, we want to begin with a call to worship from the Scriptures. I would invite you to take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 148. The book of Psalms and Psalm 148, we're only going to look at one verse that speaks about worshiping God, praising God. And part of worshiping, giving thanks, praising God is recognizing Him properly. And that's exactly what this verse does, verse 13. We read here, Yehalelu et Shem Adonai. Ki nisgav shmo levado, hodo al aretz v'shemayim, which means they will praise the name of the Lord, for his name is lifted up. Exalted is another way that this can be translated. His name is lifted up alone, and his splendor. And this is a word that speaks to majesty, that which is marvelous. So his splendor is over the earth and the heavens. Amen. Now we're going to turn, as we do each week, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning with verse 4 for the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kavod Machuto Leolam Vaed, Viahafta et Adonai Elohecha, Bekol Levavcha Uvakol Napshecha Uvakol Meodecha, Vehayu Hadvarim Ha Elia Sher, Anoki Mitzavcha Hayom Al, Levavvecha, Veshina Natan Levanecha, Vedibartam Bam, Beshiftacha, Bevetacha, Uvlektacha, Vaderk, Ukshapecha ukomecha, Ukshartam le ot al yadecha, Vehayu le totafot ben anecha, Uftaftam al mezuzopetecha, Uvesherecha. Amen. And now let us go before our great God in prayer. O Lord our God, God our fathers, God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, God of our Messiah Yeshua. Lord, we come before you desiring to hear from you with the purpose of obeying you. We give thanks to you that you are a God that loves us perfectly and that you have demonstrated that love to us by sending your Son, Messiah Yeshua, into this world to be the propitiation of our sins, that we can look with confidence and assurance to your finished work of redemption, that we belong to you because you have purchased us with the price, the price of your only begotten Son, his blood, his life that was poured out for us. And we rejoice with the victory, for he rose from the dead, signifying the new life, the eternal life, the victory over sin and death that we have through him, not of ourselves, lest any of us should boast. 
So we give thanks to you. We do indeed lift up your names, praising you and thanking you that you are the God of Israel. Lord, we pray and intercede at this moment for those that you have put upon our heart that are sick, who are ill, may be injured, whose bodies are full of disease. We pray for healing. We pray for your touch to be upon them, to restore them to health. Father, we look to you because you are omnipotent. You and you alone can do all things. For your name shouts, this name, this sacred name of God shouts that you are above all, that you have no limitations, that you transcend all things. So, Father, we look to you for your assistance, your help, your power to work miracles and wonders and great things. And Lord, we'll give you the praise always, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of, of what we're experiencing, regardless of the outcome, because we know that the things in this world are all temporal. Lazarus rose from the dead, but he died later on. We know that, that the victories of this world are, are only short-lived, but the victory that we have through Messiah the victory over sin, the forgiveness of sins, and the life everlasting. Lord, we know that is all eternal. We know that in the fullness of your goodness and the fulfillment of your promises, that we will experience each of them forever in your kingdom. So, Father, we pray to have a different perspective, to be a peculiar people, different from those who belong to the world with different objectives, different passions, and different commitments. Lord, we, we know that things are changing in this world. We're seeing things as your prophets have said. So Lord, help us to be ready, to be individuals that demonstrate faith, that live in a way that glorify you, that praise indeed your holy name and recognize that you are indeed the majestic one. So, Father, all these things we, we lift up to you, knowing that you are God who loves us, who demonstrated that love, and who has a wonderful and an eternal future for each who have entered into that new covenant. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of sins, that we can have an assurance that you have forgiven us that we have been reconciled to you forever. Thank you, Father. Through the blessed name of your Son, Messiah Yeshua, we pray. Amen. There is an enemy that hates the things of God. He does not want the purposes of God, the plans of God. He is not interested in the good things that God desires to, to be in your life. And in my life, this enemy loves suffering and pain. He knows that he has been defeated. And he wants you to share that defeat with him for eternity. And that is so different than Messiah Yeshua, whose resurrection speaks of 
victory. And he wants to share that resurrection. And remember, that term resurrection relates to the kingdom. He wants to share resurrection power with us today that we can do the kingdom work, be about the king's business in this world so that we will be those who have a wonderful eternal testimony for the kingdom of God. What we're going to see in our study this evening is how there is an enemy that, that personifies, that is a typology of a future enemy. We're going to see that this evening in the biblical text that we're going to be looking at from the book of Esther in chapter 3, we're going to see that there is one called Swear Hayuadim, which means the enemy of the Jewish people. And this term, Swear, is the same phrase that is used to describe the Antichrist. Tzorer HaMashiach. And that term derives from what the book of Esther calls Haman, this wicked one, the enemy of the Jews. And they have something in common, Haman and the Antichrist, that in the end, they both will have plans to exterminate, destroy, to kill, to cause, to perish all the Jewish people. But just like Haman, and we'll learn this in the weeks to come, in the same way that he failed, he failed shamefully, and he received the outcome of that shame. In that same way, so too will the Antichrist and all who belong to him. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Esther in chapter 3. We saw that, that last week, Mordecai, he defied the king's edict. This, this change in law where Haman, who we saw was promoted above all the other officials in the kingdom, we saw that the king, Ahasuerus, commanded that all those who served him would bow down bending the knee, bowing down before Haman and acknowledging him. And we mentioned that this term has to do with a type of worship. And Mordecai, being a Jew, cannot worship flesh and blood. And therefore, he would not move and respond to Haman. And when Haman learned because it was told to him, that it was because of Mordecai being a Jew that he did not bow down to Haman, that Haman wanted to destroy not just Mordecai, but all the Jewish people. And he had a plan to do that, but we learned that God, God was going to use this time, use this battle, in order to bring about a, a type of, of deliverance, a type of redemption for Israel. And this victory that we will see in the weeks to come gives us a perspective for understanding 
the faithfulness of God that will be displayed to a remnant of Israel in the last days. So look with me to chapter 3, where we left off last week. We saw that, that Haman was speaking to the king, and he said that it was not worthwhile to tolerate, to allow the Jewish people to live. He had this plan, and he wanted the king's permission to bring it about. Look with me, if you would, to verse 9. After informing him of this people who were scattered out throughout the empire, who were separate, that is, different from all the others, whose laws and religion was, was some way different than all the others, unique. He says here that he wants to destroy them. Look at verse 9. And if concerning the king, it is good. He says, let it be written for their destruction. And if this is the outcome, if the king agrees to that, Haman continues and says, 10,000 talents of silver. Now, this is a measurement. And let me just simply say, that according to all the commentators, this is an astronomical number. It speaks about a great, great sum of wealth that Haman possessed, and he was willing to give it all for the purpose of destroying the Jewish people. Now, this teaches us a principle, and that is that that more frequently than not, those who belong to the enemy are more loyal, more willing to make sacrifices than you and me in regard to the instructions, the commandments of God, according to what he has called us to do. We don't live sacrificially. And every time that we do not live in a sacrificial manner, it is because of our own selfishness, our own self-interest. And when we behave in that way, it gives the enemy a, a stronghold in our life. Haman, he was wicked, but he knew how to live sacrificially for his master, which is the enemy, Satan. So he says, if you believe it's good, this plan that he shared, not to, to tolerate the existence of the Jewish people. He says, if it's good, let it be written for their destruction. And he says, 10,000 talents of silver I will weigh out. Now that simply is a colloquium for pain, but it's literally the word to weigh out concerning the ones who do the work. And he says, I will bring it, it to be brought, this great sum of money, into the treasuries of the king. So he's willing to pay a sum that is, is almost unable to be calculated. And obviously, Ahasuerus, the king, he heard this number, this great sum of money, of wealth, 10,000 talents of silver. 
And therefore, he really wasn't thinking about what, what he would have to allow to be done. He simply was focusing upon this money. And this will be supported, that view, in a, a lesson to come. And therefore, because uh, he wanted this large sum of money, notice what he did in the next verse, verse 10. And the king removed his reign. Now, I would emphasize this. He removed his reign. This is the signet reign, which is where the king demonstrates his authority. That reign, that stamp that that reign produces, shows the king's authority. And therefore, it is most significant it has great implication, verse 10, that the king removed his ring from upon his hand and he gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. And here it is, Sorer Hayudim, the enemy of the Jews. Now, this verse is saying something. It is saying that Haman has purchased the king's authority. And with this ring, he can stamp whatever edict, whatever law that he wants. And it's as though the king is agreeing. This gives him great authority to carry out his will. Now, we're going to learn that Haman, he really wants to be the king. And getting this singlet ring is just the first step in him gaining absolute authority over this empire. And that's exactly what Surer HaMashiach, which is the Hebrew expression for the Antichrist. This is exactly what the Antichrist is going to achieve, and that is authority, rule over all the world in order to carry out his purpose. Now, let me pause for a moment and say the Antichrist, he initially is going to do many good things, seemingly good things, for Israel and the Jewish people. Why is that? Because he's interested in getting the Jewish people to worship him. This is what the abomination of desolation is all about. When the Antichrist goes into the Holy of Holies, where he exalts and magnifies himself, wanting that all people should worship him, and he proclaims himself as God. He wants, and his thought is this, he wants the Jewish people to receive him because if they receive him, they will not be spiritually prepared for what must be from their standpoint in order for the kingdom to come. So the Antichrist wants the Jewish people to worship him in order that his purpose will, will be fulfilled and not the purpose of the establishment of the true kingdom of God. Let me say that the Jewish people 
will refuse the Antichrist. This is what's going to bring about this time known as Etzerachile Yaakov, a time of trouble for Jacob. So at this time, I just want us to see that it is very important that Haman is called here at the end of, of verse, verse 10, Sorer Hayudim. This is a, a clue from the text that Haman is indeed a typology for the Antichrist. Look now to verse 11. And the king said to Haman, The silver is given to you. Now, this great sum of money, he was going to deposit into the king's treasury so that he would pay for whatever he needed to carry out his objective. Most scholars teach that, that there was no thought that all of this great sum of money would be utilized, but rather a, a relatively small portion. And what would that mean? It would mean that the kingdom, Ahasuerus, his kingdom, and him personally, would profit greatly. Now, again, this gives us some insight about what's coming. Because in the last days, people are going to make decisions based upon their personal financial interests. That's why the mark of the beast is, is related to money. The scripture says in Revelation chapter 13 that no one will be able to buy or sell. Again, it doesn't matter how much wealth you may have, what resources that you possess. You won't be able to utilize them in any financial transaction unless one, God forbid, takes the mark of the beast. So those who are, are motivated by finances are going to fall prey to the deceit of the Antichrist. And that deceit is going to cause them to pledge absolute allegiance to him. So here we find the king is doing just that. Because of this wealth that his kingdom is going to receive, he's agreeing to something that, that really he doesn't even understand and is not in his interests. Look again at verse 11. And the king said to Haman, the silver, represents money, is given to you and the people to do with it, meaning with them, with the people, according to your eyes. Now, probably in this case, we should see this having two implications. Number one, he's able to use the people of the kingdom, the army, for example, and others, in order to carry out this plan. But secondly, it also maybe better be understood as you can do whatever you want with this group of people who you have said to me, it is not worthy that I should allow them to continue. So Haman is receiving 
authority in order to destroy the Jewish people. This is what he gets in verse 11, to do what is good according to your will in your eyes, verse, verse 12. And the scribes of the king, this represents the human resources, the people that Haman has access to. The scribes of the king, they were called. And notice again, when they were called. In the first month, on the 13th day, now this is important because the number 13 represents something. 13 normally is composed according to Hebrew numerology, not gematria. That's something totally different. But according to Hebrew numerology, we should think of this number 13 as 12 plus 1. 1 is God, we've learned this, and 12, the 12 tribes representing the people of God. So we have unity between God and his people. That's what the number 13 speaks to. And notice it's done in the first month, which is the month of Passover, which is redemption. It teaches us what redemption does. It brings unity between God and his people through a covenantal relationship. So what the author of this, this Megillah, this scroll of Esther, is teaching us is that although Haman, his objective is to destroy the Jewish people, God is going to use it to bring unity between him and his people. This is why it says, look again at verse 12, and the scribes of the kings were called in the first month on the 13th day of it, of that first month. And it was written according to all what Haman commanded, commanded to the satraps of the king. This is just officials, important officials of the king and to the governors those who ruled over a, a specific area of land, which were according to every providence and providence. And it also says also the, the cabinet officials of each of the people, according to the providence of providence and the people and the people and their leaders. In each of the providence, it was written for all the people, meaning it's am ve'am, which means every particular people. It was written in all the languages of the various people. Done so, look at how this verse ends, in the name of the king, Ahasuerus. It was written and it was signed or sealed with the reign of the king. Now, this means it is in force. It has been put into action, this plan, to destroy the Jewish people. And Haman, he has paid the bill in order that this could be done. He was willing to make great sacrifices to accomplish his purpose 
of serving his master, which is the enemy, Hasatan, Satan. Verse 13. And these uh, books, and we might translate it as letters or writings, they were sent in the hand of, of heralds, these individuals who were runners, to all the, the providences of the king. And what did they call for? To destroy, to kill, and to perish all the Jews from those who are young until old. Both child, and this refers to a young child, and women. And to do it on one day. Now, here again, one day. If you're a good student of prophecy, when you hear one day, something will come into your mind. And that is what it says in the book of, of Zechariah, that prophecy, where it speaks in that final chapter about a kingdom being established. And this is going to happen on Many Bibles will say a unique day, a special day, but it literally says one day. And here's what we're called to glean from this. The, the enemy wants to bring about a change, a unique, a special change that is going to enter into reality one day. But in reality, we know something. He's not going to be successful. God is going to use it for his purposes. Now, when we are submissive to God, and this is an important principle that especially we need to remember as we are approaching the last days, and that's this. As we are submissive and obedient to prophetic truth, as we do not succumb to the deceit that's going to be prevalent in the last days. But remain faithful to God according to the truth of God, the scripture of God. We won't be deceived. We won't be misled. But we will live in a way whereby we can be faithful to the things of God, experiencing that resurrection power in order to be overcomers, even if, we should lose our life. We will be overcomers because we did not love our life to death. We stood for truth, and if we are overcomers victoriously in the body, praise God. If we are put to death because we would not bend the knee and bow in disobedience to the truth of God, praise God for that. Whether we live or die, the Lord is the Lord. And our hope is not based upon anything that this body can receive. We're going to receive another body, a perfect kingdom body. So we need to remain faithful that God, he will, in the right way, at the right time, he will share with us the victory that he has secured for us. So look again, verse 13. 
And these books, these letters, Sfarim in Hebrew, were, were sent in the hand of these runners to every or to all the providences of the king. And what were they about? To destroy, to kill, and to perish all the Jews, those that are young until old, young children and women, to do so in one day. And what was that day? On the 13th day. Notice here it says, on the 12th month. Now, we have a change. We had when it was written down, but now we have when it's going to be carried out on the 13th day of the 12th month. Now, remember, this 13, it speaks about intimacy between God and Israel, God and his people. And then the 12th month is the month of Adar, which speaks about that which is splendid, that which is special that which is good and glorious according to the things of God. And that's what redemption and the unity between God and his people produces marvelous outcome. So over and over we see in this passage that God is indeed, he is indeed allowing these things to happen in order that he will work and bring about a good outcome for Israel. And let me pause for a moment and share with you something that's going to become more significant as we move on in the weeks to come. And this is a concept, I'm going to say it many times throughout our study, that God is going to manifest himself by bringing change, a very important biblical principle. God manifests himself through bringing change. And the word I want you to learn, it's a Hebrew word. And this is a word, lahafoch, which means to change, to overturn. And it can be used for destruction, but also to overturn something and make a new and different reality. And God's going to do that. That which the enemy intended for our destruction, God is going to bring about a wonderful, glorious new reality, a change that only he can do. And when we are trusting him, when we are walking according to the truth, when we are committed to the commandments of God, then and only then are we going to experience his edification in our life to make us and build us up so that we are indeed going to be that new creation in Messiah and that we're going to demonstrate a change that speaks of a kingdom reality in our life. Now on this day that Haman, that he intended to be a day of, of destruction and death and, and perishing for the Jewish people. God is going to turn it into something different. And notice it says, and here's another principle that we've already mentioned, and that is this. I shared with you that, that Haman, 
he deposited these 10,000 talents of, of silver into the royal treasury. This great sum of wealth, a measurement that is hard to get our mind around the value of that today. And what we're going to read at the end of this verse, it says here that those who take part in it, they're going to be able to not just destroy the Jewish people, but notice what it says. Ushe lalam lavos. What's that? To, to plunder for spoiling. To plunder them, which means this. That they are going to be able, those who participate, are going to be able to take, to spoil, to plunder whatever belongs to the Jewish people that they kill. Now, this is very reminiscent, unfortunately. It's very sad that people would be motivated to do that. But if we go back some, some 80 years, this is exactly what we see in a good portion of Europe, especially Eastern Europe. When given the opportunity to steal from their neighbors, many, many were all too willing to do that. To, to betray friendships, loyalty, in order to torture, commit atrocities, put people to death in the most barbaric manner. For what purpose? For wealth. For, for taking that which belongs to someone else. So the same, same motivation that the Nazi empire used to bring people to support their objective of, of exterminating the Jewish people. It's not new. Haman used it as well. And it's going to, unfortunately, also revisit this world in the last days. So he says that those who carried out, they will be able to, to plunder them and to take spoil. Verse 14. And a copy of this document. It was given. It was given as a decree. In every providence and providence. It was revealed to all the peoples. The word peoples in the plural meaning all the different peoples. Now, we see another parallel, and that is this. We know that the message of the gospel is for every people, nation, tongue, and tribe. When we look at the kingdom people, ultimately, there's going to be representatives from all the nation, all the tribes, all the languages throughout the world. And what we find here is that the Antichrist, he's going to do the same thing. His purpose, his plan also has to do with all the people. But instead of giving him that which is good, holy, righteous, just, that which is glorious, no, he's giving them a call that is going to bring about their eternal shame. It says here 
that this was revealed, this, this edict that was written down, it was revealed to all the people that they should be ready for this day. Now, if you were to ask a Hebrew speaker, if you want people in the plural to be ready, you would use the word muhanim. But this is not the word muhanim. It's word atidim. Now, the word atid is simply the word for future. Here it's being used as a type of verb in the sense, in the future, be ready. For these future things, it's in the plural. And here's the message. That word is used there in order to give the reader a clue, insight, that, that this has future implications. Not just future in the, the near future of, of this group of people. During the days of Haman and Ahasuerosh, Mordechai and Esther, no, this has great significance, great revelation for the future. And when I say future here, I'm speaking of the establishment of the kingdom of God. This is, this same revisiting of history is going to take place prior to the establishment, immediately prior to the establishment of the kingdom of God. Verse 15, our last verse this evening, we read, And the runners, these who herald the law, the runners went forth to Hufim. Now, this is a word for urgency. Now, something that is dechuf is usually something that, that, that brings about a sense of being alarmed, being concerned. Something that, that weighs heavily upon someone. So here we find that these runners, and this word's going to be revisited in the scripture later on in regard to Haman himself, later on as he goes home. But here we find it having to do with these runners that went forth announcing this decree. And they did so with urgency. In the word of the king, meaning the king told them to do this hurriedly. And the edict, it was given in Shushan, the capital. Now, the word for edict that I've been, been utilizing is the Hebrew word dat, which is more of a religion. And what we find here, and this again is an informative clue, because serving this, this wicked empire under now the authority, because the singlet reign is on Haman, serving the edicts of this, this leader, Wicked Haman has become almost a, a religious experience. And this is exactly what the Antichrist is going to desire as well. Following him in a religious way. He wants to be obeyed as God. So it's this confusion in, in placing religious significance on that which is secular, that which has to do with man and not God. 
And we see in the past, and it's being revisited today, that, that certain individuals, the media speaks of them and uses religious terms, like a savior, that he's anointed for this moment. There's using terms that are clearly religious, biblical in origin to describe human beings. And this is all a clue to you and I to realize this transition, this preparation for the Antichrist and him being thought of as God among us. See, he's a counterfeit. He wants to be like and thought of and revered and worshipped like the true God with us, Emmanuel, Messiah, Yeshua. But this Antichrist is a liar. He is a deceit. He is a false prophet. And he is a man of lawlessness. And the New Testament tells us that he will be destroyed. He is a son of perdition, meaning a son of destruction. So this, this law, kind of a religious edict, was given in Shushan, the capital. And then we conclude, the king and Haman, they sat in order to drink. Now, this is to show a joy. Frequently in the Bible, drinking has to do with celebration, joy. So now this edict was, was going forth, the plan, Haman's plan, to extap, exterminate the Jewish people is now in process. And Haman and the king, they are rejoicing. And to me, this is a typology of the Antichrist and Satan rejoicing with the light for, for their plan as it appears to those who do not know the truth, that they are having success. So the king and Haman, they sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan, what was it? We have the word Nevocha. Nevocha, well, most of your Bibles will say, that, that the city of Shushan was confused. Now, we learn two things. First of all, being confused shows a lack of understanding. Confusion is oftentimes the outcome of being deceived. And remember, in the last days, there is going to go forth this spirit of deceit, this spirit of delusion that is going to visit this world. God is going to allow it because there's a spiritual law. When I reject truth, I'm inviting delusion into my life to be deceived. But there's also another one. If you ask most people about this word, Navucha, it also has a degree of embarrassment. So it's just not confusion. But it's a confusion that will live, lead to that which is embarrassing. And this is what's going to be placed upon the enemies of Israel in the last days.
both shame and confusion. They will be deceived, and that deceit is going to bring shame upon them. Now, all of this is a way of instructing you and me, the reader, of what's about to happen, what God's going to do in the midst of this. But again, all that we're reading in this Megillat Esther has implications. It's written in a way to give us insight concerning the last days. Well, I'm going to close at this time. Next week, we'll begin chapter 4, and we'll learn much in regard to theological truth that we need to embrace in order to be found faithful, knowing the truth in order to carry out the truth. So chapter 4 of this book of Esther is so significant in helping us reach theological truth so that we have a behavior that is in line with the truth and also manifests the glory of God. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel.